0: Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you have joined us. We are in the book of Jeremiah. We have been doing a study of the Old Testament. It is not an exhaustive study of the Old Testament. Um, I don't want to do an exhaustive study of the Old Testament. I wouldn't want to listen to an exhaustive study of the Old Testament. But we're kind of going through and putting them all in perspective and... and uh, Pointing out points that I think are, are relative, rele, uh, relevant for us today. Um, <clears throat> we are in the uh, prophets after finishing everything from Genesis all the way up to when uh, the nation of Israel was taken into captivity into Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah is one of the major prophets and uh, kind of a very dramatic prophet. He and Ezekiel are very dramatic. Ezekiel, very much more so, even than the sky, which you see some of the stuff. Ezekiel did. It's rather entertaining and rather odd. But anyway, so Jeremiah is this guy who is prophesying as so many prophets before him that God will judge the nation if they do not repent. Now, Jeremiah actually is the one who is there when it happens. Now, we started reading last week some of the strange things that uh, he had to do and, and analogies that he would act out to the people and you know, and everybody thought he was weird, and nobody wanted to be around him, and uh, life wasn't particularly good, at times he'd get arrested, and um, in chapter 20, verse 7, it's kind of where we left off last time, Jeremiah complains, and he cries out, he says, oh Lord, you deceived me, I was deceived, what does he mean? God obviously doesn't deceive people, it's uh, the language of saying, you know, you tricked me, you tricked me into doing this, why did I do this, you tricked me into doing this, and you overpowered me and prevailed. And then he gives his complaint. I'm ridiculed all day long. People make fun of him constantly. Everybody mocks me. Whenever I speak out, I, I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. It's not like, gee, I can't be like the warm and fuzzy prophet. Every time I open my mouth, it's doom and gloom. I'm going to kill you all. You know, I'm not exactly the way to win friends and influence people. So the Lord, word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. And, uh, and then the next verse, it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous verse, where we left off last time, oh, uh, where he, he says these words, he says, but if I say, he says to himself, I will not mention his name or speak anymore, I'm not going to say anything anymore, I'm just not going to do it, I'm not going to say what God has put in my heart to say, then his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire. Shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Uh, many uh, of those who've felt a call uh, into the ministry uh, know this feeling. You know, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. Uh, oftentimes, God calls people who are uh, not exactly enthusiastic servants. <laughs> you know, God t- calls them to do so. They don't really want to do it. But yet this fire is burning on him in the inside and I have to. And if I don't speak, I feel like I'm going to explode. That kind of thing. So this was kind of the beautiful words that Jeremiah shared that he had to speak even though uh, he tried not to speak. Continues to complain. He says, I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him. We'll take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Anyway, he goes down. Continues to talk. uh, Getting it all right. Then, um, in chapter 21. Now this is when uh, all of this starts to, all the, the judgment is coming. Indeed, it had already started at one point. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, or uh, yeah, from Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians had come down and already at one point had, uh, you know, flex their power on Israel in what is known as basically the first wave and, and took some people at that time captive. In fact, that's when David, you know, David and Goliath, or not David and Goliath, but David in, uh, you know, in the lion's den and all those. We're going to get to the book of Dan, or Daniel, not David. Can't even speak tonight. Daniel in the lion's den. That's why I said David and Goliath. Wrong guy. Daniel and, uh, and his guys all went in that first wave. So they're already into captivity at this point. And what in essence they had done is they had taken uh, King Zedekiah, uh, was basically a puppet king at this point, still under the influence of... Um, Babylon, well then, Zedekiah rebels, he doesn't want to be under the influence, and it causes the uh, Babylonians to come back in, and to bring this great judgment on Israel, which, by the way, takes years, years, which I'll point out to you as we look a little bit further here, at times it gets confusing, because, you know, even when we get to uh, Ezekiel, and Ezekiel starts. He's already. This by this time Ezekiel was part after this bunch that he got taken into captivity. And even when Ezekiel starts prophesying, he's prophesying a warning of the end of the city of Jerusalem. You say, what do you mean? We've read about that back in Jeremiah. Well, it took years and years and years for them to finally destroy the entire thing. So it was a very, very slow, very painful process. But uh, at this point. Um, uh, Zedekiah was rebelling against um, the, uh, the the nation of uh, Babylon by the way it's real interesting when you study this uh, historically there are political explanations for everything that happened it's very very interesting in other words we, when you read the Bible you see what God was doing and all of this was in fulfillment of prophets it's one of the reasons I think that we have so much record of prophets speaking before any of this happened because otherwise you could think well, no, that's, it wasn't God. It was just because the Babylonians had come through and uh, then they pulled back and they weren't going to destroy everything. But then Zedekiah got in his face and egged him on and they came back to destroy him. And so so there are, there's political reasonings and explanations for all the stuff that's going on in the natural. When in point of fact, what is very well documented is God warned that he was going to cause all of this to come on them. Even though in the natural it made sense. In other words, it wasn't like all of a sudden God showed up, whoa, and then all this judgment came down. There is very much a very natural line of progression where it looks like these were the kind of events that would have happened anyway, politically speaking. But it's, it's great for us to learn even today. You, know, you, need, you need to really be careful and we need to be sensitive as we see what happens in the world all around us to see what God is doing in nations. Because even though there's a political explanation for why this nation did that, that oftentimes there's this battle of good and evil that's going on in the world. Does that make any sense? Okay, so we read about now chapter 21. The word uh, came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him to Pashur and blah, 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 these people. And they said, basically to... uh, to, to uh, Jeremiah said Listen, inquire now of the Lord for us because Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon is attacking us again these attacks took years in fact the first wave took two years they sieged, they laid siege to the city for two years what well, they basically would do because uh, Jerusalem was you know you get these very large cities and the walls and some of these walls you know as you look around like the Great wall of China a lot of these things still exist after thousands of years I mean, when these guys built a wall they were not messing around. I mean, this is like holy cow kind of walls that they would build. They weren't about to breach these walls necessarily. It took a long time to breach them. And what they would do is they would surround a city and basically starve it out. And they would slow the people would slowly starve to death. It was brutal. Remember how the one time we read where within Jerusalem it got so bad that they were uh, two ladies were arguing about, well, let's eat your son today, and then then we'll eat my son tomorrow, and then they ate the one son. And the next day, the lady reneged and wouldn't let her eat the son. So she goes to the king complaining, "She won't give us the son to eat. Cause we ate mine. Yes, it's time to eat her son." I mean, it, what kind of place do you got to get to where you start eating your own children? I mean, you know, you want to strangle them sometimes, but I'm talking—we well, actually really want to eat them. I mean, you know, that's 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 nasty stuff. And and that's the, that's the kind of misery and death and destruction that would happen when these guys would come. This was this was not twenty first century warfare. This is thousands of years ago. It was brutal. It was ugly. It was horrible. So they come. Suddenly, they want to hear from Jeremiah. Now, see, Jeremiah had been warning them, as had been all these other prophets. This is coming. You better stop. You better stop. You better stop. You better stop. They wouldn't stop. And all of a sudden, here comes the very thing that uh, uh, the prophet had warned them. So they quick go to Jeremiah, seeing, you know... Talk to God first. See if if he'll do something cool, some great miracle because God was always showing up pulling their bacon out of the frying pan over and over again. So they said, inquire now of the Lord for us because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. Perhaps the Lord will perform wonders for us as in times past so that he will withdraw from us. He being uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But Jeremiah answered them, "Uh, tell Zedekiah... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I'm about to turn against against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. I will gather them inside this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in anger and fury and great wrath. I will strike down those who live in the city, both men and animals. They will die of a terrible plague. What plague? Well, you can imagine, the place is being starved out, uh, the the health conditions were just abysmal, At eventually, they do breach the walls, the army comes in, they're killing people, those that are left, I mean, there's plague, there's sickness, there's disease, this was just one gigantic death trap, it was, you, you don't even begin to get a picture of what they're talking about, because they're just they talk about it so quickly and stuff. It's when you back up and read about other sieges like eating kids and all kinds. I mean, these were horrible things. He says, I will strike them. They will die a terrible plague. After that, declares the Lord, I will hand over Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, and the people in this city who survived the plague, sword and famine to Nebuchadnezzar. So those who survived plague, sword and famine, Ho Chi Mama, you know, those who survived that then are going to be drug off by Nebuchadnezzar to their enemies who seek their lives he will put them to to the sword he will show them no mercy or pity or compassion furthermore, tell the people this is what the Lord says see I'm setting before you the way of life and the way of death even, even at the last I mean God was constantly saying to them, if you'll just repent if you'll just, I'll, I'll change all of it but they wouldn't stop and here they are, they're being besieged it's coming, it's at the door it's just a matter of time. In this case, two years of hell before it really gets bad. And even at the last, when he comes and say, well, pray to God that he'll save us. God says, I'm not going to save you. We're going to kill the whole lot of you. But then at the last minute, God still says, listen to me. I'm setting before you a way of life and a way of death. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, by the famine, or by the plague. But whoever goes out and just surrenders to the Babylonians who are besieging you, Will live. He will escape with his life. I have determined to do this city harm. And not good. In other words. I'm going to destroy this place. But even in my wrath. To destroy the city. Because of your sins. Which were beyond number. In spite of God. Doing all the incredible miracles he had done. In their lives. Said at the last. I'm still going to knock out the city. But if you'll. I'll give you a way out. If you'll just go surrender. He won't kill you, he'll save your lives, lives of your children, your families, and and whatever. Okay, so, um, they took it and took the word back to uh, Jedekiah and he did nothing with it. Then as you read Jeremiah, you certainly can read this on your own, um, he starts talking about, he prophesies all the things that are going to happen, he prophesies uh, that there's going to be 70 years of captivity, when they're going to all be taken off into Babylon, which uh, in fact is how long it took talks about the cup of God's wrath. Uh, Jeremiah then he's threatened with the death and prophesies all these icky things to all these people and then he stops and he starts prophesying that someday it'll all be restored. they always did that as well uh, had other analogies that he would do uh, he gets imprisoned. again you can read. It's, it's all interesting but I, I just don't want to read it all. it's too long. Uh, Anyway, so now let's get to chapter 38, verse 14. Now all this, he's speaking these things and prophesying and doing all the things he's doing, this very dramatic prophet, and still getting grief for it. They're under siege. Again, it takes time. That's why when you read this, sometimes they keep talking about Jerusalem falling. They'll be talking about it for years from now because it took so long. Uh, um, Anyway, so we read at verse 14. Then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and had him brought to the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. So he sneaks him in. This is the guy he had just sent men to ask him, would you pray for us? It's a thing of desperation. It's interesting, you know, when people are really desperate, suddenly they learn to pray. And say there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. During a firefight, suddenly everybody believes in God. Oh God, oh God, you know. Then, And it's amazing when things go really horrible. People promise God all kinds of things. We all seen this part of human nature. So suddenly they're in trouble. and so, Oh yeah, let's go pray. Call Jeremiah, you know, get Jeremiah, tell him to pray. Nah, I'm not praying for you, all going to rot. Uh, but I will give you a way out if you surrender. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, the heat is on. Uh, the king brings Jeremiah, sneaks him in. Uh, into the entrance of the temple and he says I'm, I'm going to ask you something uh, the king said to Jeremiah don't hide anything from me and he basically wants to know, you know what's going to happen and Jeremiah said to Zedekiah if I give you an answer will you not kill me even if I did give you counsel you would not listen to me so if I say the wrong thing you're going to kill me anyway And if I talk to you, you're not going to do it anyway. I mean, it's it's just... But King Zedekiah swore this oath secretly to Jeremiah. As surely as the Lord lives, who has given us breath, I will neither kill you nor hand you over to those who are seeking your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Okay, Jack, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and the city will not be burned down you and your family will live. So he directly gives the king the same terms that God said is up for everybody. If everybody will just surrender, they would live. Even at the end, God was giving him a way of life and not death, even though he's going to destroy the city. As far as he was concerned, the city was getting wiped either way. He would not turn from that. But he says, but if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it down you yourself will not escape from their hands. Well, then King Zedekiah says to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who've gone over to the Babylonians, for the Babylonians may hand me over to them, and they'll mistreat me. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you, and your life will be spared. So apparently some, what's an interesting insight here is, some people did listen, and they went over. And they, they, you would think you'd get a clue. But then he was afraid of those guys, you know, because they'd say, well, you brought this on us. You're the terrible king that made all this happen. Anyway, like I said, there's all these political things going on in the background. But if you refuse to surrender, this is what the Lord has revealed to me. All the women left in the palace of the king of Judah will be brought out to the officials of the king of Babylon. Those women will say to you, they misled you and overcame you. Those trusted friends of yours, your feet are sunk in the mud. Your friends have deserted you. And then he says, all your wives and your children will be brought out to the Babylonians. You yourself will not escape from their hands, but will be captured by the king of Babylon. And this city will be burned down. Then Zedekiah says to Jeremiah, don't let anyone know about this conversation or you may die. If the officials hear that I talked with you and they come to say to uh, to you and say, uh, tell us what you said to the king... And what the king said to you, do not hide it from us or we will kill you. We'll kill you if you don't tell us what, what what you told the king. And then he told him to tell them this lie. Tell them, I was pleading with the king not to send me back to Jonathan's house there to die. Uh, and so it says, the next verse, all the officials did come to Jeremiah and question him because they found out that he got snuck in. And he told them everything the king had ordered him to say. Which in essence, he lied to them. Now, this kind of messes with your head a little bit. It reminds me of when uh, Samuel, uh, was it Samuel? God, God spoke to Samuel to go anoint David king. Yeah, and uh, uh, Samuel said, I, "I can't do that. If Saul finds out about it, he'll kill me." And God told Samuel, "Well, if anybody asks you, just tell me you're going to go worship." What? Isn't that bizarre? It's like God was telling them to tell a white lie, you know, which is what we say. If you don't give 100% truth, then you're giving them. They're basically, they were misdirections. Uh, and even God told them, give them a misdirection. Now, I'm not saying you should be going out lying to people or misdirecting or anything else. All I'm telling you is, holy cow. More than once have we seen this in the Bible. A little hard to explain. Except the best analogy and I shared this with you when we talked about the first one is like uh, some years back when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth, we were in ministry over in Europe, and, and we were we were smuggling Bibles into communist countries. And you know when they would and, and some other Christians would criticize us because you're basically lying. They would come and say, when you come to the border, do you have anything to declare? And you said no. And then you they kind of look around, they didn't catch anything, they let you in. And they say, well, that's really wrong, really, really wrong. I say, you know, I don't, you basically, I didn't have anything to declare. I ain't declaring nothing to you. <laughs> you know, you're the devil as far as I'm concerned. So I, you know, so I use these uh, backups as rationale. I don't think when you're fighting for the kingdom of God and you're smuggling Bibles and people who can't get it and some pinhead says to you, got any Bibles? Oh yeah, I do. It's buried in the bottom. Please check it out. Because y'all go to jail. I mean, it's insane so anyway there is some basis for that kind of deflecting God will figure it all out I don't know anyway but don't go around lying to people nonetheless thou shalt not lie you're supposed to not lie but you get some of these weird colored things it's kind of hard to figure out anyway and then Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the garden until the day Jerusalem was captured then they start to describe the fall of Jerusalem and it's just the beginning of the fall of Jerusalem and then he prophesies more and tells them it was because of their idolatry and then he has a message to the Egyptians and he has a message to the Philistines and he has a message to the Moabites and then he's got a message to the Ammonites then he's got a message to the Edomites and all the other ites out there and Damascus and Elam and finally then he turns on Babylon and he starts prophesying against Babylon the very nation God is using to bring judgment says that someday they're going to get theirs and blah, 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 blah. Then you get to chapter uh, 51. I actually, turn to 52 and back up one verse. Easier to find. Chapter 52. Um, and he's basically prophesying against Babylon. And verse 64, the last chapter. Or the last verse of chapter 51. Verse 64. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring on her. And her people will fall. And then it says, the words of Jeremiah end here. So that was the end of the words of Jeremiah. Then there's one more chapter. And that's what I want to look at here because they just basically kind of summarize what had happened with the fall of Jerusalem. And uh, so let's take a look at this. This Jeremiah was through all of this and was part of the group that got taken into captivity. So verse 52, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was, who cares? Verse 2, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now, Now you're back to the political context of what happens. Even though God was doing it all, from a political standpoint, remember, the Babylonians had come in they were threatened to destroy everything apparently they came up with some peace but they did take some people off as treasures hence Daniel oh, David got my head uh, and those guys but now instead of Zedekiah being a good king he rebels against the king of Babylon again it was just God confusing their thinking what was he thinking I mean Babylon had just been you know it was a matter of years but had just been at the door this was a huge army, these guys it was like an unquenchable fire, the Babylonian army you didn't mess with these guys there was different armies that would raise different kingdoms you know, throughout history, well this is one of the yo mama ones, and you just got your little kingdom in Judah you just had them there, you worked out a deal they left, and now you rebel against them? I mean, it was, again, it was just—it was all fulfillment of the prophecy. So this idiot rebels against Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the month we don't care about the day of the month. But the, the main thing is the ninth year of the reign that Zedek, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. This is bad news, okay? These guys were nasty, and they camped outside the city and built siege works all around it. So they're building. They're just taking their time. It's like. It's like death by a thousand, you know, paper cuts, you know. They're starving them to death. They can't go. There's no freedom. They're locked into this place. And they're slowly just taking their time building all these siege works that they're going to roll up against the walls and try and take it, uh, you know. And uh, so it says, um, so the city was kept under, under the siege until the 11th year. So it started in the ninth year. 10, 11, So it took two years uh, of this going on. So again, this is taking a long time. Well, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe there was no food for the people to eat. Then these guys are rolling up. You know, these uh, things they've been preparing with this gigantic army of Babylon outside, and the city wall was broken through. And then, then the army runs. They flee. Uh, they left the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, through, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled and the Babylonians pursued them and da Anyway, verse 9, he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, where uh, Nebuchadnezzar pronounced sentence on him. And there the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Ugh how awful huh Uh, he also killed all the officials of Judah then he put out Zedekiah's eyes sure that was a pleasant experience bound him with bronze shackles and drug his butt off to Babylon where he was thrown into prison till the day of his death now think about this God had spoken to them twice once on a personal uh, level with the prophet right there says if you will just go and surrender your life will be spared yet he wouldn't do it you know what is it with people that they are so stubborn and so insistent to act against their very own self-interest it is the most bizarre things in human nature and and sinful nature quite frankly is what it is it's like how dumb can we be but people do this everywhere even Christians do things that are absolutely destructive and against their very own interest and destroy themselves or harm themselves as a result it is the strangest thing I've never understood it because we see this in varying levels you know people who abuse alcohol obviously are abusing alcohol but who are they destroying? Themselves. Illegal, use of illegal drugs. Destroying themselves. They're acting against their own interests. Even though intellectually they know it is killing them. And they don't stop. They don't stop. Of course, well, they're addicted and whatever. Okay, fine. But I mean, it's, it's more than just addiction. It's even guys like this, when they have the opportunity to do what's right. I mean, I see this all the time with, with families that are breaking up. And, and, and they're going through divorce just because they, they're mad at each other. Some of them for some of the dumbest reasons on earth. And think, what are you doing? Well, I'm unhappy. I just want to get... I'll get happy if I get divorced. You know, I've talked to a lot of divorced people. They don't look terribly happy to me. It's, it's one of the ridiculous, most ridiculous things in our culture. you get happy. Just divorce. And people say, well, if you're unhappy, just get a divorce. As if this is a solution to make you happy. When studies show that the people who get divorced stay miserable. I was just talking to a lady today. Uh, it's kind of neat. I didn't know she was going to be at this uh, uh, meeting that we were having. Her name's Malia, uh Gallagher. Maggie. Maggie Gallagher. Uh, she wrote this book called The Case for Marriage. She, they went and did, you know, these academics did this study of marriage and, and what would work, you know, and, and why people who are married live longer and they're happier and they make more money. and uh, you know, Particularly for men, one of the best things a man can do is get a wife. You live longer than if you don't. Now, I know you think she's killing you, but she's actually keeping you alive. Yeah. Thank God for it it might be a slow death but she's keeping you alive they say statistically one of the most dangerous things you can do a man can do is to remain single they say statistically it's the equivalent of smoking two and a half packs of cigarettes a day isn't that amazing i guess the worst thing would be a single guy who smokes two and a half packs of cigarettes (laughs) a day he's he's doomed i mean so so they've they've looked at this and and they've got all the science behind it and it's like ah and they, uh, she did this thing with the University of Chicago uh, where they, they did a survey and they went and found people, uh, I call them M&Ms, married and miserable. And, uh, and they surveyed these M&Ms and, uh, and they found out they were in fact absolutely miserable and um, they followed them. Half of them, which is the typical number, got divorced. The other half, even though they were M&Ms, stuck it out. And then they went back and they interviewed the people again five years later. The people who had stuck it out, almost unanimously, reported they were now happy. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Then they went and interviewed the the other half that had gotten the divorce. And they were still miserable. They were still unhappy. Divorce does not make you happy. And talk about acting in your own. I know this is my shtick, you know, the whole family thing. And I, I beat this to death. But it's important we get this stuff right. Do you know the one way you can virtually guarantee that you, your children, and amazingly, your grandchildren will live at or below the poverty level for almost their entire lives? Get a divorce. That in and of itself, it's such a, it's such a, a wealth destroyer. Not there's people who pull above, but I'm talking, you know, generally speaking. There's always exceptions. Thank God, trust God for the exception. But this, you would think, just based on money alone, people wouldn't do this, right? <laughs> because people love money, right? Money, money, money. Everybody has the money, but yet they do the very thing that winds up robbing them just financially alone. In fact, when you start hearing More and more they talk about the people who, the haves and the have-nots. There was always class warfare and politics. You know, it's not fair the people that have, those that have not. We're getting to the point in this country, you could literally use the phrase the married and the divorced. It's the married people who build wealth. Why? It's a normal, healthy institution that God, for a reason, it builds life. You build a future with this thing. I know at times it's miserable and painful. And at times you become an m M&M, Okay? But these things, you can work through these things. But you hang in there. You build a life together. The people that overwhelmingly live in poverty are the people who have been down this rat hole of divorce because our culture has lied to them. They bought But it's, it's like this thing where these people, they act against their own interests. Even for your children. I mean, the best thing, if you, the everybody, you know, their, their children, everybody loves their children. They want what's best for their children. The best thing you could do for your child. And look, I'm not trying to condemn you. I know there's a lot of people of you who've been divorced, and and I understand it. We don't hate you. I do not hate people. Some of the people that I work with, the closest who I hire and pay are people who've been divorced two, three times, been through all kinds of stuff, you know, and now are helping me to help save marriages. You know, so it's not about condemnation. I'm just trying to say, while well, you don't want to condemn people, at the same point, we still got to go, hello, what are we doing, right? If you really, if if, if your best possible thing you can do for your children is work it out with the person who's driving you crazy, your spouse. That's the best thing. Every study, there's not any study that comes anywhere close to showing anything other than divorce greatly increases. And those of you who have been through divorce and you have the children stuff, it's not hopeless for you. But you need to put a lot of energy into this and you need to pray and you need to get some faith inside. You need to trust God to come against all the negative influences out there. But make no mistake about it, the minute you go down this rat hole, it increases dramatically the chance of your children and pick any ill in society. And under that, dramatically it goes up. And even that, even these children that we would give our lives for, we say. We still act against their very own interests because we get so mad. Or we're so frustrated. Life is replete. I can go through you know, so many other analogies of this. Where we act in ways that destroy our own lives. And hurt our lives. Hurt the people around us. And you just can't even be. And you wonder what in the world are we thinking. The only thing I can figure. It's just the power of sin. It's called. It's the darkening of the mind. It's just like the Bible talks about. Uh, without God in our lives we become we become very dark. You don't see clearly. If there's one thing you want to do is you grow in your faith and say, Lord, make my vision clear. Amen? Make my vision clear. Despite whatever mistakes I've made in the past, God, from here on out, make my vision clear. Help me to see the best things I can do to build a healthy life, to build a healthy family, to be part of a healthy church. Let's do things. But you can't get there if you just if you don't see clearly. And again, doing things. Do you know how many people, oh my gosh, how many people are getting diseases that will, that they have no cures for, or could potentially kill them, just because they can't keep their pants on? Talk about acting in your own worst interest. What are you doing? You're running around Boinking or being boinked with strangers you don't even know—totally lost our boinking minds. We're crying out loud, and and it's not like it's no big deal. It's like, have you seen the ads on? T- Somebody's still getting over the boinking. Some, some of you, there, There's ads on TV now for uh, herpes commercials, apparently. And don't raise your any hands if there's anybody out there dealing with it, but you know mercy and grace on you, but apparently there are so many people today that have herpes that financially it makes sense to advertise to everyone to find the customers. For what? For a roll in the hay? Someone you don't even know? to mention, you know, the worst case they were getting AIDS and dying and stuff we are spending billions of dollars trying to find cures for diseases that would not exist if people would just keep their pants on I mean, it's insane. We do this with alcohol. We do it with drugs. We do it with sex. Financially, we do things that are against our own financial interests all the time. It's like, I think God looks at us and thinks, they're crazy. They're just all crazy. This is why we want to get the Word of God into you. So we start thinking more biblically, thinking like God's standard of living instead of the heathens. Because the danger for believers is even though Jesus said you're in the world but you're not of the world. The danger for believers has always been you get in the world, we're in the world, we're still here on earth. And we start thinking more like the pagans and we start acting like them. And we do the things that are against our very own interest. And while you look at guys like this, why, why, what was to be gained by not surrendering? Well, what was the point? You're Judah for crying out loud. You're not exactly, at this point in your history, this massive uh, uh, presence in the world. At one time they were. At one time the Jews were like, you know, they were like locusts, man. They'd come in and they army and, they'd, and God was on their side and they'd take down everybody. That's how they got the whole promised land in the first place. They went and took it. God said, this is a promised land. Go in there and take it from them. God did I mean, but now at this point, Israel, the northern ten uh, uh, tribes have already been wiped out because of their sins. You're down to just basically Judah. And you're surrounded by the most powerful force on earth. You know, it would be like the United States of America's army attacking Belgium. God bless the Belgians, but I don't, think, I don't think they'd stand much of a chance. You know what I'm saying? But even still, after everything the prophet had prophesied them and told them was going to happen, it happened verbatim. He still wouldn't do it. It's just insane. And I'm telling you, it's just the influence of sin in our lives. And again, let me just say, look, I know lots of us have done incomprehensively stupid things I have done incomprehensively stupid things even as a believer I've done some really really stupid things much less those of us who before we came to Jesus we did some really incredibly stupid things and as a result we have done things that have been not in our best interest or our children's best interest or our own financial interests. this isn't to tell contem- me contem- don't go home you know oh, I just said oral and I've done all the wrong I think God knows we messed up right this is the purpose for forgiveness and grace. Okay? So in the context of there's always forgiveness and grace for all this stuff, I'm just trying to point out, not to condemn anybody, make you feel worse about yourself than you already do, but stop and look at what we're doing. We need to stop, as people of faith in particular, stop doing the very things. If we'll just look at what God says to do and do it his way, we will be blessed. Just like God told, uh, when Jeremiah told them, look, I'm giving you, I'm setting before you two choices. Life and death, and it's interesting. God said that many, many times in the Old Testament. He said, "Look, I'm I'm setting before you two simple choices: live and die. I mean, it's not complicated, right? Even I grasp this concept: live or die. Let me think about it. I mean I don't need you know the jeopardy theme playing in the background while I decide. <laughs> da 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 da. Man, I'm answering fast. You get to choose life and death. Life, I'll take life. Just tell me what I got to do. All right? And the Lord is constantly setting before us life and death. And if we'll just choose. And it is amazing how often he had to reason with people. Choose life. I'm setting before you life and death. And he described the difference between the life and the death. The blessings and the curses. the the, The success and the failures. The prosperity and the disasters. And when he'd get done, he'd reason with the people, plead with them through his prophets, choose life. But this is the deception of sin. And it's careful, even as believers, though we've been born again and redeemed, it's easy to get caught back up into stuff, and then we too start doing things that hurt us instead of help us. God help us to learn these things, learn these principles. That's the purpose of church, even, being part of a faith community, that we can challenge one another. The Bible says to. To provoke one another to love and to good works. Provoke each other to, to doing the right things. Instead of just provoking one another. You know. Encourage. That's the whole thing of, of the whole... You know, that we're answerable to each other. And having... And, and being open and honest with each other. With our struggles. And, oh, I'm, I'm, life is tough and I don't know what to do. And, you know, have people who know God. Who've experienced God. Who know how to pray. And they know how to have faith. Get around you and encourage you and speak into your life. You know why? Because the more you become an island unto yourself, the more likely you will fall into the trap of the enemy that causes us not to see clearly and we start acting against our very own interests. You know, the Bible says, Beware of Satan. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I love Do you like watching these, you know... uh National Geographic things, you know, like the animals and stuff like that. Especially if you got a high-def television, it's very, very cool because the photographer says killer's like the thing's going to jump out any minute. But it's like the lion shows up and all the wildebeest, everybody's just kind of hanging out. They know they're there. They're nervous about it and stuff like that. But he doesn't go attack the group. He looks for the one that decides to go off <laughs> all by himself. Praise God, I don't need nobody. I don't need to go to church. I'm all by myself, buddy. Who do you think Satan's going to come after? The people who stay close in faith community are the ones who start to distance themselves and figure, oh, I can do this by myself. Clearly, it's the ones who go out there and do it by themselves. This is when you become an open target and, open, uh, and, and Satan can open up just a can of kick butt into your life. And it's not a good thing. All right, I need to wrap this up real quick. Um Da, 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 da. Where am I? <laughs> I don't even know where I am anymore. Oh, he, put, he put out the guy's eyes. Okay. Now that was in what year? The 11th year. Okay. Then verse 12. On the 10th day of the 5th month in the 19th year, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, commander of the imperial guard, whatever his name is, uh, who served the king, came to Jerusalem. And he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and he burned the whole thing down. Anyways, you can see these things took years and years and years and years. That's why when we now get to uh, Ezekiel, he's part of the captivity that have now been taken away for those that did survive all of this. And now he starts prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's like, hello, I thought it was destroyed. Well, it was, but it's in the process of being, and anyway, pretty wild. So, anyway, that's basically the. Uh, the story of of Jeremiah, and pretty amazing. It says, where is this? Verse 28. This is the number of people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile. And then he starts listening. So many Jews, and so many people from Jerusalem, da da da. But the bottom line there were 4,600 people in all. 4,600 people. That's the remnant of this incredible nation of Israel that God had come with Moses and called out and said let my people go. And this army of a nation of slaves came out some theologians believe as many as a million people came out of Egypt and came and took the promised land and did all these things that God had called them to do and they rebelled against God and when you're a full, big, yo mama nation and the people who got taken off into captivity are down to 4,600. Now, there are also still some left back there, but we're talking a lot of death here. By the time they came back, there was like, I think it's like maybe 46,000 or something like that. So they multiplied for a while in the 70 years of captivity and stuff and they came back and rebuilt the nation again. But wow. I mean, the city of Green Bay is what? hundred thousand people can you imagine being part of a nation and now forty six hundred get taken off i don't know how many before that were taken but we're, we're still talking was it even a hundred thousand people was it less was it fifty was it i mean what they did even though god had warned them terribly they wouldn't repent very very sad But it did jerk the slack out of them. We're going to see how God restores them all. And then the next book is written also by uh, Jeremiah. It's called the book of Lamentations. If you're having a hard time sleeping tonight, read this thing. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not asleep by the third chapter, uh, I'll buy you dinner. Anyway, so... And and this, you know, we're not going to... I'm not going to read. I'll read a couple of lines here. You know, How deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was a queen among the provinces has now become a slave. And the whole thing is he basically lamenting over all that has happened. Hence the word lamentations. So that's all he's talking about. He's just the whole thing. He's basically crying in sadness over what had taken place. Next Wednesday, we will pick it up and we'll jump into Ezekiel. Very interesting prophet. Did some very strange things. Some of it highly entertaining. Some of it virtually X-rated. Which I will warn you when we get to that, I'll make you get your kids out of here because this 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 is going to embarrass some of you guys. And what's amazing? It's amazing how many how freaked out Christians are to talk about sex, but then you read the Bible and how gross they are about it. It's like, whoa, man, what are you saying here? You know, wait till you, wait till you read this thing. It'll this'll make you feel really strange. Anyway. <laughs> All right. I went really long because I couldn't shut up. So uh, we won't worry about discussions. But anyway, thanks, guys. God bless.